Well, let's, uh, let's look at God's Word today. And uh, uh, as we continue our series, and you might have to help me back there, Kim. But um, a new appreciation, I want to talk to you today about a new appreciation for our resurrection faith. Uh, a new appreciation for it. And I'm just praying that the Lord will just open up our hearts and minds that as we talk more about the re- reservation, re- resurrection, excuse me, and as we look in the scriptures, that uh, it will just come alive to us. You know, I think for, for me, as I have been doing this study, um, I almost feel like I should apologize that as a minister, I have not been more clear about how important the resurrection is. So uh, we're looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, there's some, also some other scriptures that we'll look at as we look at a new appreciation for resurrection faith. 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. And we apostles would would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead, because there was an argument among the Corinthians that they weren't going to be raised. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty in your sins. A very interesting statement from Paul here regarding the importance of the resurrection. I was reminded recently of the importance of living spiritually well as a Christian. As I uh, prepared for LMA's funeral, I was just reminding myself, refreshing myself in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 where Paul reminds us of what constitutes living spiritually well when he wrote to Timothy about uh, his particular impending departure or his death there from that Roman prison. Remember he said, I have uh, fought the good fight. I'll just let you do that, Kim. I, I, I have fought the good fight, I have, which meant I have battled the devil, I have battled against the world, I have battled against self-idolatry because that's, that's where the battlefronts are in our spiritual walk. And he also said that I have, I have finished the race. In other words, I have endeavored to grow in my knowledge of the Lord. I have endeavored to grow in his disciplines. I've endeavored to increase in my understanding of who Jesus is and also become more like Christ. You know, I've learned to pray. I've learned to give. I've learned to forgive. All, all these various things. I've learned to, to strive for holiness. And I've learned to put things off. I've learned to put things on as far as the characteristics of Christ in my life. And then he also said, I have kept the faith, which is I have striven to passionately obey all the Word of God. As I read the Word of God, as I understand what the doctrines and the commandments of Christ are, that Paul had endeavored to to, um, obey those things, to cling, to hold those things to his life, to, uh, you know, to cling to them and to uh, make them his treasure. In other words, Paul was a, he was an active pursuer of Jesus. And he said, that's what living well means. And uh, the point we made at Elmay's funeral was that in order to die well, you have to live well today. In order to be ready for death, we have to be living well. So, loved ones, without the grace of God, it's just impossible for any of us to live spiritually well in such a manner as to successfully fight the good fight and finish the race and be able to keep the faith and therefore be eligible to receive 
what the Bible says and what Paul says, the crown of righteousness. For that's what he says there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 there. He talks about receiving the crown of righteousness. You know, you might wonder, well, what is the crown of righteousness? What, what does that involve, you know? Um, and so I did a little study on that, on that word here. And there, there's two words. The, the word crown appears in the New Testament in two different forms. It report, it, it, uh, there's one form in, in Greek that talks about the type of crown that a king or a queen, you know, uh, has on their head. It's like a royal di- diadem, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it you know, signifies uh, that kind of a you know, position. The other uh, word for crown is, is uh, um, uh, st- Stephanos in the Greek, which means a victor's crown or a, a victory crown. It was, the, it was a crown that is rewarded to a person who wins in some sort of athletic competition, particularly one who is running a race that these victor crowns were given to the winner. And at the conclusion of a contest, particularly a, a race, a winner was declared and a crown was placed on the champion's head that was either made out of pine wood or olive wood and, and leaves. And the crown wasn't made of any kind of expensive material, but it was highly valued as a public recognition of that person's skill, their commitment, their discipline, their endurance, their self-control, their self-mastery. You see how it fits in with the good fight and the running the race and keeping the faith? The crown of righteousness God gives you is that basically saying you've done a good job in all those areas of, of, of pursuing me. You know, um, it, it, this, all this, all this training and self-mastery and endurance, all this, it's enabled you to win the competition, to win the race. And so being awarded the victor's crown brought a person just this great acclaim, this uh, honor and respect in the eyes of the adoring public. Therefore, it was really the, the athlete in the Roman races. It was their chief aim to get this crown. It really was a, it was a, um, it was a symbol of accomplishment. And Paul is saying here that, that we Christians, we understand that we run this race of faith. We wholly give ourselves to pursuing God's plan for our lives. We, that's what we have to do. We give ourselves to this plan. And there could be no greater reward than for Jesus himself to personally place that victor's crown of righteousness, which symbolizes all of those, all those things that we just talked about. It symbolizes uh, in, to have that placed on our head. That is, uh, that is, in fact, the promise that Christ makes to Christians who endure to the end. Remember? He said, if you endure to the end, you will, you will be saved. You will be victorious. And you've, you can victoriously finish this race of faith. Because a day is coming. That great day of judgment. That great, wonderful day. A day is coming when Jesus will step forward and dressed in all of his wonder his regal wonder and splendor and being exalted as the king of kings and will bow before him and Paul implies here that, that as we have you know as we have fought the fight and run the race and as we've kept the faith all these things that Jesus will put this crown of righteousness on our heads the savior himself will personally place that priceless reward 
on our brows. The Bible actually refers to like five different types of crowns here. And uh, I have them listed here for you. The five different kind of crowns. There's, first of all, there's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Um, I put the scripture there for you so you can look it up later. But Paul describes this special crown given to believers who have learned to practice physical control. They've, they've learned to not let their bodies uh, distract them from pursuing Jesus. Paul said, I, I beat my body. He said, I, I make it obey me. I, I don't let it disqualify me in this race of uh, pursuing Jesus. In other words, he's, Paul was saying, I, I've learned how to cause the spiritual part of me to dominate my will more than my physical body dominates me. That's a major, that's a major point uh, for all of us as Christians. When we first become Christians, we're so used to our bodies controlling us and not, and not, uh, not doing what's right all the time because our bodies, you know, dictate how they you know what we should do, what we want to do, I should say. Whether it's an attitude where we know that we have a right to stand up and blast that person, you know, with our opinion. And Paul is saying, no, you've learned to control yourself where, you know, the, your, the righteous spirit of Christ controls you and not just your passions, your physical passions. He refers to that as the crown of incorruption or a crown that doesn't perish. And uh, there's another crown in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 here. It's called the crown of rejoicing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heavenly recognition that, that you were concerned that your family and other people know about their great need of Jesus and the gospel. You know, um, you're concerned that your family, those you love, your neighbor, you're concerned that other people also know about the Jesus that you know. And uh, this particular crown is given to those who have that kind of passion and they're willing to share the gospel with other people. They're willing to try to win people to, G to Jesus Christ. That, that, you know, you're concerned about their souls, their spiritual well-being. It's, it's also known as the soul winner's crown, uh, given to those who have loved and faithfully testified to the lost and presented Jesus to them. You know, um, again, it's, you may not be that kind of person who's an extrovert, you know, where you're, where you're just uh, kind of like LMA, where you're just kind of letting people, you know, know about Jesus no matter where you're going. You know, you may not be that kind of person, but you're the kind of person who is really concerned about your family or your friends or your, God puts a passion, on, a burden on your heart, your neighbor or s somebody at work, and you're so concerned that they need to know Jesus Christ. And so God, you know, that you're waiting for the Lord or you're willing for the Lord to use you to try to reach them, you know. And Jesus said that there'll come a day when you'll get a crown of rejoicing. That'll be a crown of rejoicing. The next crown uh, that we see in the New, New Testament is 1 Peter chapter four, uh, 5, verse 4, where Peter talks about this is, this is sometimes called the pastor's crown, but it, it's, a, it's a special reward that'll be given to the shepherds or to teachers who, um, you know, taught the Word of God or who faithfully tried to shepherd God's people. The next crown is uh, James chapter 1 verse 12 and Re Revelation uh, 2 verse 10. It refers to the crown of life. The crown of life. 
The previous one was the crown of glory. Now this is the, the, the crown of life. And this crown refers to the, well, it's given to those who have faithfully toughed out uh, temptations and testings and suffering uh, in the name of Jesus. Those who have been faithful to their, to hold to their faith in Christ. And yes, even to the point where they've been willing to, to give up their life. They've willing to, to allow themselves to become a martyr and for Jesus. You have that kind of a commitment. It's again called the crown of life. And lastly, the one, the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4, 8 here. Again, this refers to those who have again, fought the good fight. They have finished the race. They've kept the faith. And the reason why is because we long to see Jesus come back. Yeah. We long to see the Lord come back. That's the, the passion. We want to see Him return. It's the crown that Paul referred to when he, again, he wrote about his own death and when he wrote about this, the crown that Jesus would, would give him. That we just have this longing that Jesus would return. Um, and I remember growing up as a little boy hearing a song played on the bluegrass record my dad had about wanting Jesus to wait a little longer because, you know, give our loved ones time to get in, you know. And yet, we know that we have unsaved loved ones. And yet, we're concerned about that, but our greatest passion is that he would come back. He would return. We put our family, we put our neighbors, our friends in his hands, and we just say, Lord, in your time, but we want you to come back. It's our passion that you would return. Amen. And on that great day in the future, Jesus, he's going to, he'll stand. He'll step forward and, and come to us as we bow before him and place, again, one of those respective crowns or maybe several of those crowns will be placed upon our heads as he finds us faithful to the task that he's assigned to us. You know, I know sometimes those kind of rewards in heaven make people feel uncomfortable. They think that that's going to create some sort of heavenly class system where there'll be some people that will have three crowns and some will have one crown and some won't have maybe any crowns. I think it's going to be hard to get to heaven without any crowns. <laughs> you know, because all those crowns speak about passionately, about you have to passionately sacrifice self-idolatry and follow Jesus, you know. So I think we're all going to have a crown of some type. But the point is, in heaven, the old things are passed away. There's a, it's a whole new order of things. And whether somebody has two crowns or three crowns, maybe I only have one, no one looks down on the other person. It's that those things are passed and gone. Our hearts are purified completely, and everyone is rejoicing in Christ because, well, it's... But, you know, we know by the grace of God, it's not by the grace of God that we are there in the first place in heaven and by that we have any crowns at all. And that's why the Apostle John said when uh, he saw all the saints in heaven casting their crowns, it's Revelation chapter 4, I think it got up, up there, that it says, and they laid their crowns before the throne. They cast them, the crowns at Jesus' feet. Because they said, hey, the only reason we got this is because of your grace. This is really your crown, Lord, you know. So there's no, there's no, um, you know, caste system there. There's no, you know, the high, medium, and low caste where, where Christians, uh, but rather we realize that, that uh, 
all of me, if we have any rewards at all, it's because of his grace. Amen. For you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Amen. Well, how glorious that is. Now, due to a, the dumbing down of the church today, one quarter or more who claim to be Christians actually disavow that the bodily resurrection of Jesus even took place. Isn't that amazing? Why, it makes you think, why are you going to church for then <laughs> if you don't believe Jesus came back from the dead? But it was precisely this passionate, well-informed understanding, this conviction uh, of the bodily resurrection of Jesus that actually empowered the early church. It really empowered them to turn the world upside down, so to speak. It was their faith in Jesus' resurrection and their own promised resurrection that encouraged them and empowered them to practice righteousness and holiness. It was knowing that Jesus rose from the dead and that also it was his promise to them that they would also rise from, from the dead that encouraged them to keep on going, to keep on keeping on, to keep practicing righteousness and to keep on practicing holiness. It gave them hope when all looked lost and empty. It empowered them, to, again, to, to stay faithful. Um, Next slide, please. It says, there's, there's 200, uh, within 260 chapters of the New Testament, 300 verses address the resurrection. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? The resurrection is so crucial to our faith that it's addressed over and over and over and over in the New Testament. I never realized how crucial and important the resurrection was to those who were followers of the way during the first 300 years of the church's history. Every bit of evidence for Jesus' resurrection is also evidence for my personal resurrection and your personal resurrection who trust in Jesus. Every bit of it. I think that's so cool. Jesus said in this next slide, he said, I am the resurrection, this next slide, and, and the life that he who believes in me, though he died physically, he shall live. I mean, that's just a foundation, a part of the bedrock of our promise that because Jesus rose from the dead, then also we who believe in him will also. Jesus was... You know, the, we'll talk about this in the future some more, but Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead. And what the Bible means by that, you say, well, P.D., aren't there, there's other examples of people who have risen from the dead, some people in the Old Testament. Well, you have to understand something. That wasn't a true resurrection, really, in, this, in the strictest sense. We could call that what they call a, re, that was a resuscitation because they died again. They died again. Everybody who rose from the dead or who were, were resuscitated, you know, like Lazarus, the, he died again. Jesus is the first and only who rose from the dead and stayed alive. And that's why he is the one that we're following. He's the only one is the resurrection and the life, you see. Well... Paul, he just makes this case for the importance of, the re of having resurrection faith so absolutely clear. 
and uh, here, and let's just go ahead and look at this again in 1 Corinthians 15, this next slide here. Let's look at this again. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. I want to see because it was the empty tomb. The Bible says it's the empty tomb that actually verified what Jesus did on Friday, the, the previous Friday on the cross was authentic. You know, because he, he claimed that his death on the cross provided the forgiveness for our sins. But then he died. And three days later, on Sunday morning, when he rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that that, that, was the, that was the frosting on the cake, so to speak. That testified that what Jesus did on Friday was authentic. He really does provide forgiveness of our sins. And he proved it because he rose from the dead. Sins... What leads to sin? I mean, what, excuse me, what sin leads to what? It leads to death. That Jesus pro provides forgiveness for our sins, and then also He provides an answer for our death as well. Amen. That's why Jesus, he, he's, he's all we need. Amen. Paul, he goes on to write in uh, the rest of 1 Corinthians. Let me just, you can read this later, but in the rest of that chapter, he says this. If Jesus didn't historically rise from the dead, well then, what good is that then to follow God? If he didn't rise from the dead, why in the world are we trying to follow God in the first place? Those who have died believing in Christ are lost. People who have, you know, tried to follow Jesus and they've died. If there's no resurrection from the dead, well, what good was that? What, what, what good was it that they lived for Jesus? They're just in the ground, dead, lost. What's the benefit of following Christ if we're only blessed here in this life, Paul says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then why go through fighting the good fight? Why go through finishing the race? Why go through keeping the faith? Why endure all these temptations and these hardships of following Jesus? You know, he said, we may as well live like pagans. Let's just feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Boy, the resurrection is crucial, isn't it? Hope you see that. Hope you see how important it is. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead... We should live, uh, we can just live any way we, we, we should just live any way we want without any restrictions. Just go ahead and live the way you want. It doesn't make any difference. You're, you're, you're lost anyway, you know. Um, why preach? Why have faith? It's all useless, Paul says. But Christ has risen from the dead. And that is what calls us to holiness and righteousness. And again, fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith. That is why we do that. You know, and uh, this next slide says, you know, the, the, the resurrection is a key foundation stone to everything we have in Jesus Christ. And again, I have to tell you, I'm sorry that sometimes I have not preached that as strongly as I, as I should have. It's only, it's the only time um, we, it's, it, I should say, it, it's the only time we talk about the resurrection of Jesus is at Easter and at a funeral then we are missing something of the power of God in our lives. It is everything. It's the resurrection power, Paul tells us, that even created us brand new on the inside and took away the old desires, our old darkness, the old way we used to live, 
and transformed us into children of light, children of God's truth. Amen. Hmm. All four gospel writers were careful to record a lot of evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They, they record that Jesus rose on that early Sunday morning and something changed in the lives of the people who witnessed it. It's really interesting. On Friday, the disciples, they were cowards. They were controlled by fear. But the resurrection made them willing to suffer uh, any kind of ridicule or trouble. They told the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 that, uh, you know, what we just read, we read the ending of that chapter during our prayer time, that uh, they couldn't help but speak about what they had seen and heard from the resurrected Christ. Our next slide says, so Christianity is unique. It's unique religion or faith. It is a resurrection faith. And could it be that that event that happened on Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, has potentially solved every problem of life across all the cultures throughout all history? Well, yes, the answer is yes. It's the resurrection power that solves all of our issues. It's good for us to be personally confident that Jesus rose from the dead. And if we expand our faith in this confidence, we will experience, loved ones, a renewal of the presence of the resurrected Jesus in our daily lives. He'll just blossom in us more and more. Yeah. And you know what? The proof of the resurrection, we're going to look at that uh, in future sermons here. The proof is that, uh, you know, it can withstand even the most secular scrutiny, and it has over the years. Nothing has disproven Jesus' resurrection. You know, loved ones, all of us have tragic sorrow in our lives. All of us, uh, you know, the loss of loved ones, the loss of children, loss of babies, infants, miscarriages, uh, all heartbreaking pain that even sometimes years later can cause tears to somehow well up in our eyes, even though it was maybe much time has passed. Somehow the grief is still there within our hearts. The people that we, we lost are no longer with us. It's the certainty of Jesus' resurrection that assures us that, assures us that these separations are only temporary. And so we grieve in hope. We grieve in hope. And Peter tells us that it's actually a living hope. And I'd like to leave you today with this last, this last uh, scripture here in 1 Peter. We read it last week, but let's read, it, let's read it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the coming of Jesus. Amen. So I tell you, this resurrection faith, it is important to us. It is a cherished treasure. And it is important for us to, in our own hearts, to be um, to understand what the word has to say, what what it guarantees for us, what it has done in us, and why 
we should cling to it so tightly. It should be something that is, uh, you know, you know, if your house caught on fire, what was, I remember being asked this question, if your house caught on fire, what would you run in to try to save? <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Yeah. If your house is on fire, what would you, you know, some people might say, well, probably photos, try to save photos, you know, that always comes to my mind. I think I'd try to save photos. Um, well, if Becky was in there, I'd try to save her first. Okay, all right. But, uh, but uh, if, it, you know, if I had to go back in and nobody was in there with my dog or something, I would try to... And I think about that. What's, what's uh, in the New, New Testament, what's the most crucial thing that was the most crucial possession of, of God's people, of followers of Jesus? It's this right here. You say, well, how about the cross? The cross is very important. But the resurrection proves the cross, you see. The cross, we can't ever have, we have to have the cross. Or the resurrection doesn't make any sense. But if you just have the cross without the resurrection, then the cross doesn't make any sense. So that's why the New Testament church, they just saw the resurrection as just kind of like God's, if you will, tying the bow on the gift. Amen? Tying the bow on the gift. Amen. Father, as we leave today, as we go out to enjoy this beautiful Lord's Day, as we endeavor to maybe get some extra rest or maybe, maybe do something with family or, or maybe, Lord, even go and maybe try to minister to someone who needs some encouragement. Whatever we do today, Lord, we pray that as we do it, that we will do it in the sense that we are serving you. And we're serving you because you have changed our lives through the cross and through the empty tomb and through your great love for us in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we'll carry along with us the knowledge, Lord, uh, the, the, the intimate and the active knowledge that we are the children of God, that we have been changed, that we are made new, that we carry about in our lives the light of Christ that we carry about in our lives, Lord, the, the, the information that other people need. We carry about, Lord, in us the, the encouragement that other people need. We carry with us, Lord, the, 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 um, the instruction or the enlightenment because you have illuminated our own souls. So, Lord, help us to remember what a precious possession you have made us to be because you have placed within us the the resurrection power of your Son who has transformed us. We love you today, Lord. Pray you'll do amazing things, marvelous things, in Jesus' name, in our lives and among us here at Mount Hope. Amen.